Amen. Uh, what a great day to worship. Amen. Amen. Can we give one more hand offering to the Lord? Praise offering. Amen. Man, it is, it is good to be back today because last week was, whoo, wasn't last week great? I hope you had a great Easter, and uh, I know we did here. I, I just think back, I've been riding a wave all week. It's been wonderful because we, we had, first of all, we had a great Easter breakfast. So thank you again to everyone that uh, helped prepare the Easter breakfast. And then we had a worship service. And uh, thank you to the worship team and uh, everybody else that just helped make the uh, worship service such a wonderful time of worship and, and focus on the Lord. And, uh, and I know Kinsey came home with candy from the Easter eggs and all that. So thank you to everyone that helped do all the activities for the kids. That was wonderful. And we had a full house and it was a blessing. And so last week was this high. And now what's going to happen here is, are we going to do this? Mm, Nosedive. No, because we got something else to look forward to now. And uh, what we're going to look forward to now, coming off of Easter, is Pentecost. Now we're going to celebrate Pentecost together because I think Pentecost is such an important uh, celebration for us as Christians. I don't know why more churches don't celebrate Pentecost. I grew up in a church, we never had anything related to Pentecost, but to me, it's very important, it, to me, it's very special because of what it represents. In some ways, Easter represents our salvation, right? Easter represents uh, the, the crucifixion and the resurrection. That's, that's our salvation. Now, Pentecost represents our sanctification because Pentecost represents two things that are absolutely essential for us to grow in our faith. First of all, it is the day in which the Holy Spirit comes to dwell, to live in the hearts of all of those who trust in Jesus as their Savior. And then it is the birthday of the church. It is on that day that people hear the gospel and, uh, and give their lives to Christ and they hear it in their own language and then they go off to their own hometowns and we're gonna talk some more about this today. But as they do, they begin to gather in groups and the church is born. And so without the Holy Spirit and without the, uh, without the church, we're in a heap of trouble. But because God has given us these precious gifts, they are, the, they, they are the means, a couple of the means, there's others, but they are the means by which we grow in our faith. And so it's so valuable. So that's what we're looking forward to. Six weeks from now, seven weeks after Easter, which on this year, it, it, it falls on May 28th. So mark it on your calendars. May 28th, it's going to be a great time. We're going to have a multi-ethnic lunch together, and so that means uh, we're going to have all kinds of food. You think The reason we do that is on Pentecost, they spoke all these different languages, right? We're going to represent it with all kinds of food. So we're going to have barbecue, we're going to have Mexican food, we're going to have Japanese food, we're going to have Filipino food, we're going to have all kinds of stuff, and you get to sign up to bring it, and it's going to be great. And we're going to share, and we're going to have a great time, and, and it'll be a, a celebration today, uh, together. That's Pentecost Sunday, Penta 50, 50 days after Easter. And, uh, and we're going to uh, celebrate 
the giving of the Holy Spirit, and the, and the birth of the church. And so today we get started in looking forward to that, and we're calling this series that le leads up to uh, Pentecost, hashtag family church. And I'll explain what, uh, where we get the hashtag from, but it's meant to be cool. We're contemporary. And the reason I say that is because I think family church needs to be contemporary. We, we, th this idea of church is not generations past. If ever we have needed the family of God, it is in our world today. Uh, we, we need family. We need family church. And so it's meant to feel contemporary, but it's also meant to go viral. When you post something on, on social media, you push hashtag something, you want it to spread. And we want this love of the church and the love of the Holy Spirit to spread. And so it's hashtag family church. Today we're going to start on this and we're going to be looking at the Pentecost story together. So let's uh, turn our attention to the Lord once more and ask for his blessing upon the preaching of the word. God, I thank you for our church. Uh, this is a family church. We're here not just to fill a seat. We're here to love one another and to join together as we seek to support one another and to build each other up so that we can live for Jesus in this crazy world. And so, God, I pray now that as we turn our attention to your scriptures, that you would come and you would speak to us and that it would be a great time in your word, that you would strengthen us and meet us in, with whatever is going on in our lives, build us up so that we can be followers of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come off of Easter, last week we, we talked about the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, Jesus stayed on this earth in his resurrected body for 40 days. And during those 40 days, he met with, first of all, he, he appeared to the women, and then he met with the disciples. And 1 Corinthians uh, 15 tells us that he appeared to over 500 uh, people. And during that time, he's seeking to strengthen them in their faith. First of all, he's seeking to strengthen, strengthen them in their faith by proving that, this, that he really was alive. That they weren't just having a vision. This wasn't some ghost. Even Thomas said, I'm not going to believe unless I can put my uh, fingers in his nail hole, in the, the, the scars in his hand, and my, my hand in his side where, the, where the, the sword pierced his side. And Jesus came and appeared to Thomas, and Thomas believed. And he met with Peter, who needed strengthening as well, because on the night Jesus was tried, he'd even, he denied that he even knew Jesus three times. And three times does he go to Peter and he asks, uh, do you love me? And it's, and, it's a, and it's a pulling Peter back in. And he pulls them all and he teaches them about the kingdom of God. And then on the 40th day, he, he goes up with his followers on the Mount of Olives. And at that time, he ascends into heaven to take his place at the right hand of the Father. And Acts 1.11 says... Uh, Two, two angels spoke to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. And so the angels seek to strengthen them as well, saying, take hope, he's coming back. But I'm sure that as they made their way down off the Mount of Olives and went back into Jerusalem, there were all kinds of emotions that were stirred in their hearts. 
I'm sure that first of all, they felt fear. Now, if they came and crucified him, surely we're next. Even Jesus had said, a servant is no, not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. They thought persecution is coming our way. There, there's fear. There's surely confusion too. Like, yes, the Lord taught us, but what do we do now? And then I'm also sure that they felt gr uh, grief and sadness and loneliness. This man that they loved so much was no longer with them. With all of these emotions taking place in their hearts, they huddled together in the upper room of a home. And it says that they stayed in that upper room for 10 days, seeking to pray for one another and to support one another, to comfort one another. Now, 40 days after his resurrection to his ascension, 10 more days, that equals 50. And, and so now we are at the day of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost is not an invention for this day that the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. Pentecost was a celebration that the Jews were already having. They'd been having it since it was commanded in the Old Testament. Pentecost was sometimes called the Feast of Weeks. Weeks, seven days, represented seven weeks, approximately the same as 50 days. The Feast of Weeks was a celebration of the grain harvest. So many people had come back into Jerusalem to worship at the temple and to give God thanks for the harvest that he had provided. That's why there are so many people in Jerusalem on this day. Now let's turn to Acts chapter 2 and read the story. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They, they were together in that upper room. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seems to be like tongues of fire. Imagine this. They saw what appeared to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each, on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit had come and touched them at different times and used them, but now they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Lord enabled them. When it speaks of other tongues, it means that they spoke in other languages. So when the disciples uh, uh, were filled with the Holy Spirit, they left the upper room and they went out among the people and they began to speak the gospel in languages that they never knew. They never took Spanish 101 in high school or whatever and then all of a sudden could speak Spanish. I don't know if that was one of the languages. But there was a lot of languages and all of them were speaking another language. Latin, Aramaic, Greek, whatever it was, and the people heard the language in their own ear. And they were amazed. How is it that this person can, uh, knows how to speak my language? They came up with all kinds of conclusions. They said, well, these people are drunk. And Peter says, it's only 10 in the morning. And even then, how would that explain how I could speak in another language? They heard the gospel in their own language, and many of them placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Acts 2, uh, 41, kind of towards the end of the Pentecost story, says those who, uh, who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 
3,000 people believed and were saved. Now, after the fellowship, after the festival, they then went to each to their own hometown. And as they did, they shared the good news that they had heard with others, and others began to believe. And, eat, and in all of these towns in the ancient world began to sprout up little congregations, bodies of believers, churches. One of the churches is described immediately after this. It is the church that was meeting in Jerusalem. And I want to point this, uh, I want to point out, I want to give our attention to these verses in Acts 2, 42 through 47, because if we talk about family church, this is family church. This is what it looks like to be the family of God. Acts 2, 42 through 47 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Each day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke uh, bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what the church should look like? People gathering together, praying for one another, sharing the, the word of God together, the, the apostles teaching, obeying it, encouraging one another, supporting one another when there was a need. People even sold their possessions. They sold what they had to help meet the need of their brothers and sisters. It is a beautiful picture. It's a picture that I just put forth for, as a model to inspire us. This is the type of church that we want to be. You know, we want to be, uh, we want to be, I'll point out four things. These are four things that we want to be. We want to, first of all, have devotion. They were devoted to one another. And I, and I highlight that. That's the first thing that says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. I highlight that because today there's not much devotion to the church. Am I right? Uh, people will come in here and there, and, but there's a commitment here to say, I'm going to be here. It says they met every week. It says they met in people's homes. They, they said, we're committed. And I recognize in our culture today, it pulls us from all kinds of directions. Most uh, families have two working incomes in the home. And times are busy. The, the kids have a billion different activities. Even if we're not working or have kids at home, uh, there's so much that just draw, that, that is... Uh, that is vying for your attention, right? And, it, and so as if we are to experience all that God has for us, it starts with a devotion to say, with all these other things, this is priority number one in terms of our time. We're going to be devoted. We're going to say, this is, this is what is important. And God will honor that. You know, if you really want to experience all that God has for you in his family, in his kingdom, it starts with saying, we're going to value and prioritize the church. And I don't know why God uh, does it that way. He's got wisdom way beyond mine, but I know it to be the case that God honors that when we are faithful and, with, and when we are consistent. 
Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. So what does that look like for you? Does that look like saying, okay, we need to shift our priorities some to make sure that church is a priority for us? We need to, we need to alter some of our activities. We need, maybe it is, hey, I'm, I, uh, if I'm going to be devoted, I'm going to, I'm going to set aside part of my giving to the family of God? What is it that God is calling you to devotion? And then it's not just showing up, which is the first thing. It's, good. it's showing up and then giving ourselves to one another. The second thing I see here is depth. They took time to really get to know one another, right? Uh, when you come into, the, uh, into our church as a family church, my challenge for you is get to know one another. When you have lunch after church uh, on Sundays, sit with someone that you maybe don't know. Sit with your family, yes, I'm not discouraging that, but invite someone else to join you. Take time to really get to know someone. When we come into the church, we ought to have at least a half dozen people that we're looking forward to seeing and say, hi, how are you doing? How is your week this week? I've been praying for you. Maybe it means joining a life group. A life group is a great way to go deeper in your relationship with one another. If you want to join a life group, just uh, put, put that information on the connection card at the Connection Central, and I'll, and I'll help you get plugged in, or Pastor Darren will help you get plugged in. But depth is so important because it is when we get to know one another that then we can love each other deeply. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is 1 Peter 1.22. Now that you have purified yourselves... By obeying the truth. That's what we're talking about, sanctification, growing in our faith. Now that, we have purified, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for one another, love one another deeply from the heart. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Love one another deeply from the heart. That, that is what we see in a family church. So how, what would that look like for you? How could you grow in your relationship with one another in our church so you love one another deeply from the heart? Now, the third thing is generosity. They were generous to help one another. When someone had a need, they sold their goods and their possessions to help meet that need. And, uh, and God may call us to do something as well, to be generous. Uh, with our money, with our finances. But, but I think one of the greatest needs for generosity today is with our time. Uh, because we're stretched so thin. And, uh, and what if you took the time to spend time with someone else? It's a huge gift. It's part of what it means to be a family church. Now, while we're on the topic of money, let me just uh, say one other thing on the topic of generosity. Uh, our church uh, runs on a fiscal year from uh, June 1st to May 31st. So we're approaching the end of our fiscal year. And, uh, and we're really dependent on the generosity of our members and our attenders. And, uh, and we really want to see the kingdom of God advance. And as we look forward to May 31st, which is right around the corner with Pentecost Sunday, on the 28th, we're running a deficit this year. 
And so I point that out, not to twist anyone's arm, but to say if you're behind, if you're a member and you're behind on your tithes and offerings, uh, may, may God give you strength to be able to catch up on that. If you've been coming regularly, but you haven't been giving, may, just put it before the Lord. And I'd love for us to be able to end the year in the black so that we can continue the work that God has called us to. This is part of just the generosity that the Lord is calling us to as a family church. Now, let me point out one other thing, and this is a beautiful thing. It's the invitation. The, the, the early church, they were welcoming others into the family of faith. Verse 47 said, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. A family church gives an invitation. If we're a family, there's only two ways that you become a family if you're a child. One is you're born into the family, right? The second way is you're adopted. Now, I know that as a Christian, nobody's born into the family. Just because your parents were Christians doesn't make you a Christian. Every one of us are in the family of God by adoption. That puts us all on level ground. That means you can invite anyone in. Anyone can come and be a part of the family of God. There's an invitation. The family church has no cliques. Everybody is welcome. We are all on equal ground. In fact, I would invite us to be proactive about that, to come and to invite someone to come in and be a part. Invite your family. Invite your friends. Invite your neighbors that they might come and be a part of the family of God. When Jesus came and appeared to Philip, and he told him all kinds of amazing things about him, Philip was blown away, and he went to his brother Nathaniel, and he said, come and see, come and see. And that's an invitation that we can give to everyone. Come and see what God has done and what he can do in your life. You see, when we, think of, when we look at all of these uh, things, devotion and depth and generos generosity and invitation, all four of them are others-centered, right? This is, a family church is focused on helping love and meet the needs of someone else. And again, I think this stands in stark contrast to what we see in the world today, in which by human nature, we're so selfish. We're so focused on ourselves and self-centered rather than uh, focusing on the needs and, the, and, and being others-centered. It's a, it's a challenge. It's a call for us. Philippians 2, 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. It's a call to be formed in the church, to be, to, be, to be changed, so that we don't seek just our own interests, but the interests of others. 1 Corinthians 10, 24 says, No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And that's our call in the family church. St. Augustine, who was one of the early Christian thinkers and theologians, said humanity is curved in on itself. Humanity is curved in on itself. What he meant by that is we by nature, rather than being pointed outward, we're curved back in on ourselves and we're concerned just for our own needs. We're curved in on ourselves. We're selfish, we're self-centered uh, we're self-focused by our nature. So in light of that, I got here this morning, and got a few sermon props here this morning. So first of all, I have a, a metal bar that's curved. This, in a sense, represents my heart and your heart. By, in our own human nature, in our sinful nature, we're curved in on ourselves. Now, this metal bar is very, very strong, and I can pull
pull on it the best I can. I cannot straighten this out. I, I can't do it on my own. But what we are hoping for in our hearts, if we are to be formed to be like Christ, is we want to get straightened out so that we're pointed outward. Christ is our example. He was so selfless. He went to the die on the cross, not for his own sin, but for the sins of others. This is Christ. This is what we are uh, aiming for, to be straightened out. But right now, our, our hearts are curved in on, uh, on themselves. Now, if I want to straighten this metal bar so that it looks like this metal bar, I'm going to need some tools, right? The first tool that I'm going to need is a grinder, okay? So first of all, if I'm not going to do it right now, it'd be fun if I would, wouldn't it? We'd really have a memorable church service. We've got sparks flying all over the place. Uh, but, but if I was to plug this in and cut it, break the circle, then it gives me the ability to begin to straighten this out. What this grinder represents for us spiritually is it represents repentance. That we, break, that, we, that we have the desire to break that sinful nature, our selfish nature. And it starts with our attitude to say, Lord, forgive me that I've been curved in on myself. Give me the strength to begin to be flattened out that I concern myself more with the interests of others. And that's a break. It breaks our heart. It, it, and so it starts with repentance. It starts with this grinder. Now, the second thing is... A torch, all right? Uh, Daniel brought in a, uh, a couple torches for me. He said, this is the good one. Should I light it up? I'll just give you a picture instead. Daniel proved that it works, all right? Uh, so we got a torch. And uh, what, what's the purpose of the torch? The purpose of the torch is to uh, heat up the metal. And you heat that up long enough, and it begins to be soft. And it, and it becomes malleable. And, uh, and it, you get this metal saw, and then it's going to straighten out much more easily. Now, I think of the fire from this torch like the Holy Spirit. Remember on the day of Pentecost, it said that the, that the, uh, the Holy Spirit came down like, like, uh, like a pillar of fire, like t t tongues of, of, of a flame. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit is able to do that in our own hearts. It makes us softer. Ezekiel talks about how the Holy Spirit comes and it takes away a, a heart of stone and makes it a heart of flesh. And when the Holy Spirit begins to work in our hearts, he begins to, uh, to soften us so that we can be formed and shaped to be something new. Now the, second, now, the third tool that I would need is really not so much a tool, but it's a flat surface. Because uh, if I've got a round, if I want to make something straight, I need a hard, flat surface. If I want to make something curved, I need a curved surface, right? So this here is just going to represent my hard, flat surface. Once the circle is broken by repentance, and once the Holy Spirit comes in and softens it, then we need to have something flat to lay on it. Because if I just try to do it in midair, it's never going to work. I need something firm that we can start to form it with. And in our spiritual lives, this hard, flat surface is the Word of God. Because the Word of God gives us something stable. It's straight, it's narrow, it's, 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 it's firm, it does not change. And we need the Word of God to guide us into God's truth. 
so that we can begin to be shaped to, to, to take us away from being so uh, selfish and to becoming more others-centered. Now, the third tool that I'm going to use, or the fourth tool that I'm going to use is a hammer. So once the ring is broken and it's softened and it's against its hard, flat surface, then I can begin to hammer it into place. And uh, what does the hammer represent? Any guesses? The, no, the flat surface is the word of God. The, the hammer is the church. Ooh, my analogy may break down here. Because I don't want you to feel like you come to church, you get hammered every Sunday. Uh, but here's my point. Uh, it comes, it comes uh, rhythmically. One, uh, just like we come to church rhythmically, week after week after week, we come to worship, we come to serve, we come to, uh, to, to life group, and as we do, we're getting molded and formed and shaped into, the way, into being uh, more others-centered. Now, I say that the analogy breaks down a little bit because I don't want you to feel like it's a hammer when you come to church, but I will say this. Church is not always easy. And sometimes it may feel like a hammer because the church is not perfect. It's not always, you don't always feel like going. In fact, sometimes you go and you don't like what happens. You don't like the conflict that you get into with someone. You don't, it, it's difficult. It does feel like a hammer. But if the Holy Spirit is in it, then it's going to be for our good. He's shaping us and forming us. You see, I, I point that out because when I think about my own story, God has used the church in, in very significant uh, ways in my own life. In my own life, I know that by nature, some of what I have experienced has caused me to be very self-centered and self-focused. And, uh, and it has been through the work of the Holy Spirit and repentance and the Word of God uh, that God has, and I'm a work in progress, God has uh, made me more and more outward focused towards others. The family that I grew up in, we were in church three times a week. We were there Sunday morning, Sunday night for Bible study, Wednesday night for prayer meeting, or as I got older, uh, uh, for, for youth group. We were there all the time. And we probably look like the perfect Christian family from the outside. Like my parents loved the Lord, uh, but in our own home, there were some difficulties. In fact, one of the difficulties that I remember that affected uh, me in very significant ways, let me just tell you this, uh, this story a bit, and, and I'll explain how it applies to, to uh, God's formation in my life. When I, I have a younger brother who's three years younger than me, so when I was four and he was about one, he experienced a very traumatic accident. And uh, I grew up on a farm, and uh, we had cattle on that farm, and there was a big uh, trough that the cattle would eat out of. And in this trough, there was a big uh, auger, which is like a huge drill bit this big around. And somehow, I don't know, I wasn't there at the time, and I hesitate to even ask. My parents don't like to talk about this, but uh, somehow my brother got placed in the cattle trough, and just learning to walk, he got up, and he stumbled, and he fell, 
face first into the cattle auger. And so it sliced his face from the top of his head down to his jaw. And uh, my dad pulled him out and covered it as tight as he could, and they raced, raced him to the hospital. Uh, but the doctor said that he would be affected for the rest of his life. He wouldn't have hearing on the side of his face. His right eye wouldn't work, and his speech would be slurred. Now, by the grace of God, he has a scar to this day, but it's not nearly as severe as they first expected. But growing up, he did have difficulties from it. One of the difficulties is his eyes wouldn't work together so that he couldn't focus on, like, something on a page. So school and learning was very hard. He couldn't focus to read very well or to see the numbers on the worksheet. And so throughout elementary school, my parents homeschooled him to try to help him to keep up academically. And, uh, and they did a lot of physical therapy with him to help him with these things. Now, all of that was great. That is what they should have done. But, but I always felt like I was a, a bit on the outside. I craved attention. Because my, my brother got so much of my parents' attention, I, I just longed to be noticed for a while. And for a while, and all of this is subconscious. None of this is, I'm not, I'm not, thinking, this, I'm not thinking this consciously at the time, but uh, I recognized in hindsight, I was craving attention. I started being the class clown at school. I'd act out and I'd do all kinds of stuff. I thought this was my way of, a, uh, of getting attention. And then somehow it dawned on me, in my family, I could get more attention by being really good than really bad. And this is where the good of the church uh, became a, a little bit twisted for me. Because Satan loves to take what's good and he loves to twist it a little bit and use it for his purposes. I began to see church and all of those things as a way for me to get attention. For, as a way for me to uh, form my identity. And so I poured myself into that. And I began to work at a Christian camp in the summers and I was involved in youth group and I started a Bible study at, at my school and all of these things. All that's good, right? But, what, but the shadow side of that was that in the process, I was trying to prove to my brother that I was a better Christian than he was. Which is a lie from Satan. In fact, it wasn't until I was all the way into seminary that I began to be convicted of how I had treated my brother for many, many years. And the, and the um, grinder that broke my heart was the local church. I began to see my own selfishness, and I began to trace it back to uh, how I had treated my brother. The moment, of the moment of repentance for me is I got in my car one night, and I drove through the night to 12 hours to find my brother, who was working a night shift at a grain elevator at the time, and I said, I'm sorry for the way I made you feel, especially about your relationship with God. And he said something that broke my heart in the moment. He said, well, I know you're a better Christian than I am. And I was like, knife to the heart. It's like, no, that's, a, that's, that's not true. God loves you. He, he, uh, you, you are a child of his. He doesn't love you any more than, he doesn't love me any more than 
he loves you. And I had to repent, but it has been a process of trying to root out that selfishness ever since. Where I used religion as a club to beat others down, uh, where the exact opposite should be true. This is a family to welcome others in, to let people, to let everyone know that they come with open arms before the Almighty God. And so the church has been vital to me, and it continues to be. In fact, there have been times, even when I've been at this church, where I've had my own difficulties, and maybe it's through conflict, maybe it's through disagreement, or whatever. Those have been forming times, and thank you for your grace. And we continue to work together. But, the, but this church has been so helpful for me to grow in my faith. I love my life group. I love the individuals that I meet with during the week for discipleship and accountability. I love the conversations that we have on the patio. These are ministering to my soul, and I want all of us to experience this. That's why we call this hashtag family church, because we want it to go viral, and, uh, and we want it to spread, because in our world today, we live in a very selfish world. I don't know if we could ever say our country has been more divided than what it is right now. Every vote in Congress is a, is a is, is a one party versus the other. There's hardly ever a bi-party uh, uh, politics going on. And uh, it's divided. We live in an anxious culture, am I right? And it's because everyone is concerned, how am I going to protect myself and, and my family? What we need is the Lord's forming and molding work, and that takes place in the church. We need repentance. We need the Word of God. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the family of God, because then God can form us and shape us to become like Jesus, who is the biggest example of selflessness that has ever walked the face of this earth. So over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this, and we're going to put up a photo wall in the foyer. It's not quite done, uh, but we're going to put up a photo wall that you can take a picture with someone. And I've thought about maybe we shouldn't call it selfie. That's what you take up, you you know, you should call it othery because we're trying to get rid of selfishness. But call it selfie, whatever. The point is, take it with someone and and share it uh, with others. Uh, Put a hashtag behind it. Share it online. Take it with another church uh, member and let them know how much you uh, love them and care about them. And as we journey together, God is going to form us into the people that he wants us to be. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for today. As we have been gathered together today, we thank you for your word that has been speaking to us and, and forming us and shaping us and molding us. God, thank you that you have not left us on our own but that you have given us the Holy Spirit and that you have given us the church. And I pray that as we get formed and shaped by the tools that you have given us, God, I pray that we would look more and more like your son, Jesus. And so, God, right now, just before we sing this final song, we want to uh, pause and uh, each of us individually just to lay ourselves at your feet and ask and pray that you would shape us and mold us and help us 
to be the people of God that you want us to be. God, I think about how the early church in Jerusalem, it says they gathered together with glad and and sincere hearts. And, And that's what we want to do as well. We want to gather together every week with glad and sincere hearts because this is a place of love. And we thank you that it is. We commit our lives, we commit our families, we commit our family church to you and pray that you would help us to be all that you want us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I'll invite the prayer counselors to come forward and uh, let's stand as we sing this final song.